0: Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one, with over 200,000 locations throughout the U.S. and offering 12,000 different types of batteries. Stop into your local Interstate Battery store today and let them help you find the right batteries for your everyday life. Welcome to episode number 37 of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Parker McDonald, and today we're kicking off our summer series called Local Legends. Now, today we're talking with a man who is not only a local legend, but a national legend as well. Many of you have already heard of him. You know who he is, you follow him, and that is Mr. Warren Woman. This episode is full of tons of knowledge, and I think you're going to enjoy the show. what's going on everybody hopefully you guys are off to a great start with your summer it's june it's hot um, but spirits are up because we're not too far away from deer season summertime might be hot it might be miserable but we're not too far away september is just right around the corner hopefully you guys are getting um, all of your, your gear prep done um, tree prep food plots whatever you're doing this time of year hopefully you guys are having a great time doing it I just want to tell you thank you so much again for taking the time out of your day out of your out of your life to listen to what we've got at Southern Ground and uh, man I just I cannot say thank you enough um, today though I think you are in for a special treat I uh, w- w- we started this series it's called Local Legends and that is today and basically what this series is is it is um, just I'm going to be interviewing people that are. Uh, legends around their community. I, I put out a post not too long ago, um, asking people to nominate a few people that that they feel like would be good for this. And um, I've had an overwhelming response to it. A lot of people sending me messages, and uh, and so we're we're definitely going to be having a lot of people on. Maybe people that are from your area. Basically, the point is is people that get it done or have have in the past been able to. Um, I guess create the status of a local legend in their community. And so today we are talking with somebody that I would consider to be a national legend. Um, He is definitely a local legend. He is humble about it. He's willing to share information. He's just an all-around great guy, just a southern gentleman in its truest form, and that is Mr. Warren Woolmick. I've got to tell you guys, this was probably my favorite interview that I've ever gotten the opportunity to do. Um, and, and just because Warren, he is so, um, so humble. And so even in our conversation before we press record, he, he, he said, you know, I don't feel like I'm a legend. And and that's why he carries the legend stat- status is because people are not afraid to call him one of the best. And he is a uh, traditional archery, saddle hunter, public land. Um, he'll hunt with other methods as well. Um, but really, really the, 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 the thing that people know the most about him is that he hunts, uh, traditional archery and has killed a lot of deer doing so. And, um, man, again, it's been, it, it was an absolutely an honor for me to be able to be on the line with Mr. Warren Womack. And I know you guys are going to enjoy it. Um, again, we're doing this series throughout the whole month, the whole month of June and July. So all through the summer, we're going to be doing this series called Local Legends. So if you have somebody that you would like to nominate, just send me a message on Facebook at Southern Ground Hunting or even a direct message on Instagram, and that's at Southern Ground Hunting as well. And I would be more than happy to listen to, 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 to talk to some of the people that you guys have have, uh, have hunted with or maybe it's somebody in your area that you know about that, that could be a great guest for this episode. Um, one thing I do know is a lot of the people that have been nominated have uh i've reached out to them and they've said i don't really want to talk about it in public i don't want to i don't want to be online and so that is definitely um there's definitely some truth to that a lot of these guys are not legends because they share a ton of information and so um so I, i i respect respect and appreciate that i'm just excited about this summer it's going to be a great time it's going to be a great summer for southern ground uh we're getting geared up man like I, I went scouting last week and found some great sign in a new area that's kayak access. Uh, found found several different beds. One bed that I am almost positive is a is a buck bed, just judging by the sign, going, going into it and coming out of it, and just the way it laid out. And so I'm going to be uploading a video very soon. Actually, as soon as I get done with this podcast, I'm going to start editing that video and um and just go check it out it's at the the sports sensation youtube channel lots of good content on there I, I just recently uploaded a video that was a tethered mantis and predator platform review if you're in the market for a saddle man i would say check out tethered before you do anything and watch that video i tried to highlight some of my favorite things about it and uh and i think you guys would enjoy that if you're not subscribed to the channel already, go ahead and do that. If you would like to, I would love it if you did. And if you feel like some of the videos are uh, are helping you in the way that you hunt, I would love to. I'd love to hear about it. If you feel like you you have some ideas that you would like to see me, and things you would like to see me review or or cover in a video, reach out to me. I'm always happy to help. Always happy to answer anything um, and everything that you ask. So uh, yeah, go check out the YouTube channel again. That's at Sportsman's Nation. YouTube channel, and uh, I'd be happy happy if you if you guys would check it out. Um, before we get started, I want to give a huge shout out to the boys at Tethered. They just hired. Now, I know a lot of you guys listening to this have put in your order with Tethered and have yet to receive that order just because of the sheer amount of, of orders that have been placed through Tethered, and I am extremely excited to announce, if you have not already heard this, but they actually just hired a a guy named christian that is going to be over all of the i I don't want to say it wrong um but basically sewing for for lack of better term i know there's another word for it but i can't think of it off the top of my head but he's being hired on full-time at tethered and they announced it last week and so a lot of these uh these orders are going to be able to get fulfilled a lot faster so i just appreciate what they're doing in the saddle hunting world they are um innovating and and listening to the consumer and that's you and that's me and uh and i just appreciate it and me and mr warren we talk a lot about saddle hunting in this episode so if that's if that's your style if that's something you're interested in i think you got you guys are going to enjoy that so um again we thank our, our our partners at onyx at tethered and at new breed archery we believe in what they do um all great companies that we support so Check them out on their social media, on their websites, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, that's all I have got today. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. I think you're going to be in for a treat with this episode with Mr. Warren Wilmick. So, let's get into it. All right, welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Now, this is not just any normal episode. This is actually the first episode of the Local Legends series, and I have somebody on the line with me right now that I know a lot of you guys are excited about hearing from. His name is Mr. Warren Woolmick. Now, Warren is is a local legend, I'm sure, but Warren is more of just a legend, period. And uh, and I know he wouldn't admit that, but uh, we've got him on the line. Mr. Warren, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing
1: fine, Parker. Thanks
0: for calling. I appreciate it. appreciate your interest, man. I I am very interested. Um, I've told so many people in the last uh, I don't know three days since we scheduled this how excited I am. And man, I I know I'm excited. I can't imagine how some of the guys who who follow the stuff that you're doing how excited they are. I've I'm I asked a question on Facebook on one of the forums we're on, and man, so many people responded and had questions for you. And so we are going to dive into those here in just a minute, but uh, I can only do so good uh, of telling people about you, about who you are. I'm going to give you an opportunity, Mr. Womack, to uh, just introduce yourself, tell us tell us your name, what you do, um, and and how you got into hunting and th- kind of this lifestyle.
1: Okay, well, my name is Warren Womack, and uh, uh, I guess hunting for me has been a family tradition. You know, I... I, I, first of all, I'm gonna tell about it. I'm 75 years old, so I'm not a spring chicken. I'm on the downhill side of my hunting, but uh, I started off as a young kid, and it's probably uh, hard to find a picture of me when I was young without some kind of little toy bow or a pistol or a BB gun or something in my hands. I just grew up, and like I said just now, it's a family tradition. Uh, I was raised up in a hunting family. My my mother had six brothers, and they were all country boys and raised up hunting and whatever. And my dad, he was a hunter, and, and he had one brother, and, and he was a lifelong hunter. He probably spent more time in the woods than anybody I've ever known. And he was an old bachelor and, and, uh, and uh, had a job where he could hunt every morning and every evening. And uh, he was all had dogs for this, that, and the other, and he stayed in the woods. So it was just a natural progression for myself to be interested in it. I just got a real late start in the deer. They didn't have any deer in our area until I was grown, and and I actually didn't make my first deer hunt or kill my first deer until I was 24 years old. So uh, kids nowadays, they get a much head start on that from what I had, and the opportunities are a lot better for them.
0: So so you didn't kill your first deer until you were 24. Is that what I heard?
1: That's correct. 24 years old when I killed my first deer.
0: Man, that is... That is insane. Like I would have never, I would have never guessed that. Now, was that because, um, was that because the deer population wasn't wasn't great? Because that was before that was before a lot of the um, management practices that people are are doing right now. Is that did that have something to do with it, or was it just that? Absolutely. you... Absolutely, it
1: was before deer even existed in the area. I was.
0: Wow. <laughs> I mean,
1: it just wasn't any deer. You had to travel along the Mississippi River. Uh, you know, close to that, up in the north part of Louisiana and Mississippi, they had deer and everything. But I was a small game hunter. I, I was raised up squirrel hunting, and rabbit hunting, and uh, stuff like that, and, and just just had a huge interest in the outdoors and hunting and everything. Just never had an opportunity to hunt deer until I was 24 years old, and then and, and I had my first bow hunt I made. I, uh, it was had a real, real positive effect on me with a negative result, basically. And uh, and during that, from the efforts of that hunt and the way it turned out and everything, I created a burning desire to, to do as much as I could to uh, educate myself on what it takes to put deer inside bow range. And I went on a quest, and uh, I had probably like a, a four-year apprenticeship. It took me about four years to figure it all out. They didn't have the... the uh, internet and, uh, and magazines and, and uh, the learning tools that they have now for the young guys starting off now. Uh, maybe twice a year they'd have an article on bow hunting in, in one of the three outdoor magazines. They had Sports of Field, Outdoor Life, and Field and Stream, you know, and, and maybe maybe two articles in and two or three of them a year on bow hunting. So I was just mostly trial and error when I started. And they had a couple of guys I knew uh, probably three or four of us. had all started at the same time, and it was just a, just a learn by experience basically. And it took me about four years to figure it out. And then I started, kind of working and developing the system and trying to improve on it. You, you know, each year afterwards.
0: So so, you were 24, and now I heard you say earlier before we started recording, um, you you specifically said the date 1977. Was that when you were 24? Was that kind of, was that the same year?
1: No, that's when I really started uh, <laughs> having my best years. I actually started in sixty eight.
0: Sixty eight. Okay. Okay. Nineteen sixty
1: eight. So. And and uh, it, it you know it like I say it, it it took a couple of years. I, I didn't I didn't uh, I gun hunted in sixty eight, and then I started bow hunting in sixty nine, and uh and then from there it progressed on, and by by seventy three I, I pretty well had a good idea of what I wanted to do, and I started started uh making having some successful seasons
0: we'll put it like that. so so i'm going to kind of ask you a question that's going to give away um kind of i don't know for lack of better term going to give you some street cred for guys who don't know who you are and and what you've accomplished in your life so you were 24 years old when you started and now you're 75 is that what you said 75 75 you're 75 right. years old now how many deer have you killed in that span of time 385 385 deer from 24 to 75 now cool. here's here's th- something that that I um I get out of that okay so you're a guy who has had some major influence in especially around the south in the way a lot of people hunt um man you've uh, I've every time I've ever heard you speak or say anything it's always been to help somebody um, you just have a lot of influence. I see guys right now who are um you know around that twenty four twenty five um range who think oh man i've i 'm already past my prime i 'm already prep past where i can where I can really do anything in this industry um but from what you 're saying that 's just totally not true. i mean most guys most guys you know they start by the time they 're twenty four if they 're big into into the outdoors and and hunting and deer hunting specifically. You know, that that was something that started in, in their earlier years. Um, but it sounds like you were an adult onset pretty much deer hunter and man, now look at where you're at with, with that number and, and the amount of influence that you have. So the thing I think is important to get out of that is, man, if you have a passion, if you have a drive, if you if this is something that you want to do in your life, then just go for it. Would you agree with that, Mr. Warren?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, uh you you can be as good as you really want to be you know it's it's just up to you how much effort you put in you're rewarded by your efforts and uh yeah it just i i was ate up with it man i had a burning desire to put deer inside bow range and and i i I tried to educate myself and learn as much about it and then i have to owe it a lot to to hunting friends too i've hunted some really outstanding hunters i mean uh and uh I got a, a couple of them that I spent a lot of time with, and, and one in particular, uh, Ed Lloyd Foreman. I, some of the guys I see on the, on the forums and what have you, he's just starting to get a little active on them and, and participate on them. I, I call him Lloyd. His first name's Ed, but he goes by Lloyd. But on the forums, he's Ed Lloyd Foreman. He had a tremendous uh, influence on my hunting and, and uh, took it to a whole different level. And uh, he's a really, really outstanding hunter. It, uh, my other hunting partner has one word for him. that Described him it was relentless. <laughs> <laughs> and he taught me a lot of that being relentless himself. So uh, the two of us made a real great team, and and uh, and caused uh, problems for a lot of deer. I'm gonna tell you that right now.
0: <laughs> well, you know, one thing that I really appreciate about what you do, and and just is just your uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the right way to say it. In, in in this industry, and I hate even using the word industry, but in this sport that we love so much, so many people are um, are so consumed by antler size and by even age and, and things like that, which there's nothing wrong with those in and of itself, but um, a lot of people almost feel ashamed of killing a spike or a four-point or or even a doe in some situations. But what I'm seeing, um, especially following your Instagram page, is there are a whole lot more people who want to go out and just enjoy it and enjoy the experience. And guys like you are empowering them to go and do such a thing because you you look at at your influence and and the amount of influence that you have right now on guys, and and that's one, one thing that I'm taking from it big time is if you decide to pull the trigger on a deer, you better be happy with that deer. And, uh, and so I really do appreciate that about what you do and, and who you are and the the influence that you're having, even in my life and the way that I hunt and the way that I make decisions, especially in the woods. Um, but we're going to dive deep into your style. You have said several times, my style of hunting, and you even said the word relentless, and that's a it's an awesome, awesome definition, and, and I would agree. Um, but can you kind of just, in a nutshell, give us an overhead view of what, when you say my style of hunting, what does that entail?
1: Well, uh, it's just the way I do things and always have done things once I learned how. it's, it's uh, You know, you're limited to only so many days that you can hunt. And 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 uh, especially a working man, that, that's basically a weekend hunter. So when you when you have time off to hunt, you want to hunt where you have a high percentage hunt. You don't want to just say, you know, this looks good. I hope one comes by here. You know, that time is is really valuable, and you want to get the most out of it. And you can only you can only kill where the deer are. And the way to find where the deer are is a lot of scouting. To me, the most, people ask me what my secret is a lot, and I don't have any secrets, but what has helped me more than anything else is in-season daily scouting. And and a lot of people are afraid they're going to mess up the area, and you will mess it up if it's a small property, but I hunted some real large properties, and I would spend at least two to four hours every day that I hunted searching for the very best sign I could find. When I climbed a tree to make a kill or, or hope to make a kill, I wanted to have a reason to be there. And I wanted a reason that just got me excited, that I really would bet my house that a deer was going to come into that. And the best way to do that is on food sources. And the best fo- food source i found is feed trees. And now, now I, people say, well, you know, feed trees are going to be in the early season. They're going, they're going to die out after a while. They're going to drop out and pick, all acorn's going to be picked up. but. You got hard mass and you got soft mass trees, and and some of the oak trees I've killed are like a nut all. It, it drops in January, and I've seen trees that the last day in January they hadn't even started dropping yet. Just crowned, with just full acres, all the leaves was off, and it had so many acorns it looked like leaves up there. Sure. So you know you you can. I think I've killed a deer with a bow every month of the season, and and uh, so the feed feed is out there. You just got to walk enough to, and look at enough stuff and, and and hunt a tree that makes you want to climb on it instead of you making yourself. And An example of that is uh, my buddy Lord and I, we were hunting uh, together one day and we'd made a morning hunt and met, met back up kind of uh, late morning, almost noon and everything. We were sitting talking. We saw some deer moving and we jumped up. We said, deer moving. We got to get a tree. So. We separated, and I went one way, and he went the other. And I walked up, and I found a tree that was dropping acorns and looking pretty good. And I, I walked around it a couple times, checking the sign on it, just just trying to make myself hunt it, basically, instead of it making me hunt it. And finally, I just picked a tree downwind and climbed up, and I sat up there for an hour. And the more I looked at the ground down there, and this was early, it was, it was a real early hunt, an early afternoon hunt. And the more I, I sat there, the less I liked it. And I got to thinking. I said, "You know, I taught myself to hunt this tree. The tree didn't make me hunt it. Mm. So I got down, and this tree, it was it was early dropping. It was an early tree. It hadn't been designated as a primary feed tree yet. And but it had spokes coming in, trails coming in. Hill. And and uh, you still there? I, I, my phone.
0: Yeah, I'm here. But yeah,
1: I'm, okay. I'm sorry. I must have push a button. Oh, you
0: good? But
1: this this tree had like, like trail spokes coming in like where the deer were coming to it. So I got on one of those trails and backtracked to where they were coming from, and I found a tree that took my breath away from me. It was so hot. I mean, it was without a doubt the primary feed tree for the whole area. I got a tree. In fact, they wouldn't have any trees like 15, 20 yards downwind, so I climbed the tree itself, the primary tree itself, and got up there. And I had seven deer come in, I killed one of the seven that come in. And uh, that wow. was just a that was a typical example of just hunting a tree that's so good that you can't walk away from it. It, it, it just demands that you hunt it. And that's what you look for. You don't always find them, but sometimes you find several of them in, in a two- or four-hour walk. And then you got to think of which one's the best for a morning hunt, which one's the best for an evening hunt, or maybe a midday hunt if it's like a SMZ or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you, you determine which is best according to the wind and and morning evening hunt and you keep looking and uh, there's been times in my prime hunting huge areas i might find six different trees in six different areas that that really are really hot really ready you know but uh
0: so somebody asked on here they said you're because i think i think anybody who follows you anybody who knows what you do they know that Uh, primary feed trees are going to be your, your main thing. Like you just said, um, this is from Sean Curry and this is on the saddle hunter page. And he said, primary feed tree location tactics has, has he found a way to locate them faster than running from tree to tree? And what it kind of sounds like to me, um, is you're finding those trails and, and obviously those, um, feed trees that maybe haven't been been hit yet and you're finding those trails and you're backtracking is that kind of what i heard well
1: no if i find it if i'm not looking for the trails that much the big woods that i hunted in mostly you didn't see a lot of trails It wasn't any agriculture or nothing and and they can you know a tree don't last a long time i've seen trees drop out in in three or four days i've seen them last maybe uh, a week uh something like that but they continually change and and it's uh, the acorn to a deer is like a tomato to us Mm -hmm. when that tomato is uh is first coming out and you know you just barely getting ripe well we'll we'll, we'll eat it but Mm -hmm. once you get a lot of tomatoes and uh, they're prime everywhere well you you, you're looking for the very best you get picky on it and everything well the deer is real picky eater and they want to eat the very best acorn they can find and they they're in the woods, they're living with them all the time, so they moving around at night and everything and they're gonna they're gonna locate that, that best tasting acorn. now how long is it gonna be best taken until another one tastes better <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so it's, they, they they actually select a tree as a primary feed tree you we just gotta find it but uh do you would you I say
0: used... would you say that they stay pretty consistent throughout the years on those primary feed trees or do they change year to year?
1: Oh, they they change year to year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you might have one in the same uh, general area, you know, the same, say, two-acre block or something. Mm-hmm. Other that might be than the next one. But but I, I when you some of them are good. I, I had one cow tree that was on a, a high bank on a dry sandy creek, and it was a place where most people wouldn't go. You had to really want to be there to go the effort it took to get there. And I found this tree and down in the sand, the dry sandy creek bottom down there, it looked like you'd disk it with with deer tracks. It was just total track. Acorns were falling good, and I killed three deer on that tree that that season. I checked it every year in the next ten years and never had another acorn on it. So uh-huh. you know, it just it was just the luck of the draw. But but the the best thing that I ever did once you learn a property is is Walk and find those trees, and and you you don't want I, people people. I got a friend of mine. He used binoculars to try to find. I'm not worried about if they got acorns on the trees. What I'm worried about is the trees is the deer are coming to right now, and and uh, I want to find that tree. And the sign's going to show up. You're going to have a the the you got a drip line on the crown of a tree, and you can stand at that drip line and the edge anywhere around that tree, and you can look outside the drip line. And then the ground is going to look totally different than it does inside the drip line. Those leaves are going to be chopped up. You're going to have disturbance, what I call disturbance. And you look outside the drip line, you everything's undisturbed. And then if you got acorns falling regularly, like ever, uh, two or three a minute or something like that, they're like raining down, and you got pop caps down there and pop tulls, and you got got uh, deer droppings all over the place, and you got a couple of hookings or something like that, you might have a coon up in that tree. You got blue jays. Blue jays is a definite tip off on a tree. They'll come in and swarm that tree and they squawking and then holler. And you can locate a tree like that from 200 yards off just hearing them blue jays thrashing those trees. You find a tree like that. If you don't have have your stand with you, you run go get it and you run back and you wait for the deer. They they gonna come to it.
0: Well, so that's a good that's a good segue into the next part of that question. You know, you you hunt these primary feed trees they change year to year now you know i I can think of so many times being on on hunting clubs and private land that i've hunted where you know you'll have a you have a just a bunch of a bunch of oaks that drop acorns and people keep the same ladder stand up for years and years and years sometimes there's going to be deer there sometimes there's not it doesn't you know there's no for sure in in any of it but definitely when you're doing that, when you're hunting permanent stands now, um, obviously there is, there is another option and, uh, and you've kind of gone to that other option to help your success be higher in those situations. Can you, can you talk about, um, how you stay mobile and how you, um, find and, and are able to put yourself in a position to be able to hunt tree from tree to tree to tree?
1: Well, that, go, that dates back to about 1973 or something like that. Uh, it's, it was this guy, and this is before they had lock-on stands any kind. The only tree they had then was at, uh, oh, I forget the name of it. It was a self-climbing stand. It was dangerous. It was very, very yeah. dangerous. Uh, I, I know what you're think, talking
0: about. Um, I can't I think of the name. I
1: am blank on the name of it. I, I can't believe I can't remember the name of it. I called it a hugger hopper.
0: But uh, okay. you heard it
1: pop up on it, but uh, it it had a name I remember. That thing was dangerous, probably the first climbing stand they ever come out with, and it would it would it would drop out on you. But they had a they had a pipe for a friend of mine who, who was probably a pioneer in bow hunting in Louisiana. His name is Donnie Davis, and he came up with a, a little light portable lock on stand. He was a welder and he designed it up, made out aluminum, probably weighed about ten or twelve pounds, something like that. And he was using spurs to climb up and hang it and hunt out of it and uh, i i met i saw one of his stands I knew him, and I saw one of his stands and, and i am a, lect- a retired electrician by trade, and I've been a lot of conduit and e m t and stuff like that so I was on a job one time, and I started drawing a design my my particular design off of what I'd seen on his and I had another hunting partner and friend that was a good welder and we well, to sum up and everything and that's that's what we started hunting we had it was before they had ever dreamed of having lock-ons and uh we we hunted with that one stand a little bit and it was it was a solid model and it was a little bulky little oversized big and everything so my hunting partner he figured out a way to make it fold and it it was still basically bulky but he had a hinge on the platform that it, it would uh with supports and everything and it would fold up. But it was still big and we hunted with it for about a year and then I started working on design, I changed it up a little bit and where it would fold flatter. And uh, that was it. And this we never could get that stand lighter than ten pounds. And we hunted with it for years. And it worked great. It was probably the most solid lock on stand I ever hunted out of. And as Spurs we could climb any tree, you know, up above limb, below limb, anything. There was no problem. Any tree in the woods we could climb it. And uh, but we couldn't get under 10 pounds, and then I started hunting really long distances and like walking an hour, to hour and a half to get into where I was going to hunt at, and everything. Then packing deer out in a, in a bag, so I needed something lighter. And that's when the uh, a guy named Dick Idle from I think he's from Minnesota. He he came up with the Dick Idle uh, Windwalker and the Dick Idle uh, Limit stands. And I bought a I bought a Windwalker. And, and and Lloyd, my buddy Lloyd, he had bought a, a, a lemon. Well I found out the wind walker it weighed five and three quarter pounds and lemon weighed six and a half and and uh I my frame I'm six three and my frame was just too tall and too long for, and I was real uncomfortable on that wind walker so we traded. I took his lemon, and he took my wind walker. And, and man it just fit good, it weighed six and a half pounds. I strapped my hooks on it, threw it on my back and uh and had a, a, a just a safety belt with a Lima's rope on it to hang it with and uh that that worked for years and years worked good and finally i was introduced to a rock climbing harness about four or five years ago maybe six now and i thought that was the greatest thing for safety by the time i was up in age and i was getting concerned about maybe falling out of a tree or something like that and i need to be safety off and i hated a full body harness it restricted my movements it cost me shots off my right side and when i had it uh, hit uh Tied off right. I couldn't bend over far enough to take my hooks off or put them on. I had to readjust for that. And I just hated that thing. Well, that rock climbing harness was great. And I, I, and I killed deers, light and everything. And then from from there on, uh, let me see. I got it wrote down here somewhere. Where did I put it? Oh, it was uh, September the 13th, 2017. I listened to a podcast about John Eberhardt. I forget what podcast it was on, the whole thing. He was talking about the saddle. Well, I had tried a saddle in 2005. It was the uh, tree suit. I, I'd got one of those things, and I hated it. I, it took me 30 minutes to know that it was heavier and bulkier and had big, stiff straps with it. it I hooked it on a tree, and it would slide down the tree. I just didn't trust it, didn't like it, and it was more awkward to carry than my limit was. So I sold that thing. Well, on September the 13th, 2017, I listened to that that podcast with John Eberhard and I became interested in it again I mean he, he's a good salesman and he yeah, talked about it I, I, I did some internet searching and I found saddlehunter.com and I sp- got on there on the 13th well then as soon as I got on it they was advertising the Kestrel as a pre-sale it just, just about a month before that they started pre-sales on it so that day that I joined Saddlehunter, I ordered my my, my Kestrel saddle which was uh, on September the, uh, 4th, the 13th, 2017. And then 10 weeks and a day later, that it arrived. Well, I was into my 2017-18 season about halfway through by then. And I started, from then on, I became a saddle hunter, basically.
0: Wow. That is, so I did not know, I thought you had been saddle hunting for years and years. I didn't know that you just started saddle hunting. Um, no, I just
1: started, actually, it was a, uh, well, I don't know how the date down, but it was uh, 10 weeks and a day after September the 13th.
0: <laughs> wow, so you were you were 73 years old the first time you got into a saddle?
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Or the first time. Wow, that is that is incredible. And, I, man, I, I wasn't even thinking about talking about this because I thought you'd been doing it for years and years. But, man, that's so cool. I know a lot of people are just really kind of a little bit leery about getting into a saddle. Um you know, especially even people my age in their 30s and 40s, like it's not safe and that it's going to be hard. um But
1: well, the main reason I went to it was for the safety part. I listened to that podcast and everything, and and you know, John did a great job describing the description of it and everything. And I said, you know, at my age, and I hunt solo so much, and I, I mean. It'd be, I'd be real hard to find if something happened, you know. And, <laughs> of course, I got I a got cell phone now. You know, i would never had that before. I've been having a cell phone for about about two, three years now, maybe maybe three years, and i uh, never had that before. And I, I got concerned. I get dizzy up there. And even though I had the rock climbers and I really believed in it, trust it, I didn't want the jar that I was going to have by falling. You know, if if something happened, I'd fall up there. And, and, and I'd practice self-rescuing with it. I think I had that under control. but. That saddle really appealed to me because of the safety for it. I mean, it, it, used correctly, it's impossible to fall. You're hanging by it, and, and it's rated for 6,000 pounds. So, I mean, it, how can you get any safer than that? You know, and, and at my age, in my time of life, you know, and the way I hunt, uh, that's that's paramount for me. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about killing deer no more like I used to be. I said, I just want to enjoy my hunts and be safe and be comfortable. Well, I got this, before, it took me like, what, 10 weeks to get the saddle in, and all that time I spent on saddlehunter.com educating myself. Man, they got, the guys on there are amazing with the knowledge they have. They done tried everything and went through everything, and they're real helpful, and they'll answer any question you got. And uh, I was a newbie on there, and I was soaking it up. By the time my saddle came in, you know, I ready hit the ground running. I, I took it out in the backyard. We live in the woods. we got trees all around me. And I, I, t- I took that thing out and hung it, and I I knew what I was doing before I even got it. And I had figured it out, and I had a ring of steps. I'd already got all that down, and that's what I start off with, and a ring of steps. And they worked all right. It put a little pressure on my feet, and I, I wasn't real comfortable with them. But when Tether come out with that Predator platform, oh, man, that was the most awesome thing <laughs> in the world. That,
0: it's a life changer. I love it.
1: Oh man, I can't talk enough about that thing. Like a little, I was actually using my limit for a platform as much as I was my uh, my uh, ring of steps because it was so much room. Man, I had the best of both worlds with that limit. It was light, but it wasn't. It wasn't three pounds, two two and three, two and what was it? Probably two and a half pounds, two almost yeah, three something pounds,
0: like that. It's it's light.
1: It, it was. the weight of the predator is. You know, I had a little more room, but I don't need that room. Mm-hmm. And then. Once I got it and I start, it did. It just took a little while to get it adjusted, and then every time I used it, I would find a little different way to adjust it and get it better. It just got better and better. Now I not only have the safety of the saddle, I have the comfort of it. I, I mean, I, most of my hunts are six-hour hunts. I, I get in a tree and I'm I'm there for six hour six hours, and uh, before I get out. And I got used to that saddle. I got saddle shape. And I took my – one 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 day, instead of taking my saddle, I took my limit. And I sat there for an hour, and I was squirming, man. And I said, I can't hey. believe how much more comfortable the saddle is in that limit, that little bitty limit I've been sitting on for 15, 20 years, however long it was.
0: Well, so I got a funny story about that, about the comfort of that predator. So um, when I first started, which was last this past season was my first season in the saddle, and, uh, I started of course with the, with the tethered mantis, um, me and Greg, we, we had, um, he had reached out to me before tethered was even a thing and was pretty much just trying to convince me why I needed to be in a saddle with the way that I hunt and using the kayak. And it's just going to be so much easier for you instead of carrying a stand. And, and man, I was, I got to tell you, dude, I was like, no, not a chance. There's no way I'm going to be in one of those things. And I started doing some research like you, you know, heard, heard. Uh, john eberhardt on podcasts and and i'll just go ahead and say john eberhardt leaves no doubt in your mind that he believes that saddle hunting is the only way to go um uh, he he is very confident in in the benefits of a saddle and so i actually started i got my mantis around well my first hunt was the first day of the bow season in alabama Um, And I had only climbed it maybe twice. Well, I didn't have my Predator platform yet. All I had was my saddle. And so I was basically, um, uh, Warren, are you familiar with the Hawk Helium sticks?
1: The what now?
0: The Hawk, Hawk Helium climbing sticks?
1: No, I don't do climbing sticks at all. I don't do climbing
0: sticks. You do the spurs. You do the spurs. So I have to use the climbing sticks. That's just what I started out with, and I was using I was using those top steps as my platform in my for the. I mean, I killed three deer like that this year using those top steps for uh, my platform, and then I got the predator in, and it was like I felt like I was sitting in a Cadillac after that. Pretty much for the rest of the season, that thing was so comfortable it like completely changed how I felt about saddle hunting for sure Oh,
1: absolutely yeah I tell you what it, it I really didn't didn't care for the ring of steps I I, I was sucked up too close to the tree I, I just I don't know I put a lot of pressure on my feet my feet would start hurting after a while but but that predator between the predator and the saddle you you can adjust your seating position so easy and so much and and uh, you can definitely shoot 360 degrees. I I got a 62 inch recurve I I hunt with, and it's no problem whatsoever. I mean, none. And and but that 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 it's just it's just a good deal. It really is. I I try to introduce it to as many people as I can, just to show them what they can benefit by having one.
0: Uh, it there is there. There's almost too many benefits to even be able to talk about in one podcast. Honestly. Um, i tell you what I did, dude, but the first hunt I made,
1: we got a few little deer behind the house. I like to, to keep them straight and everything, <laughs> but I I, uh, I went and made my first hunt with that saddle back there, and, and uh, I didn't bring my knee pads, and I didn't bring my, my back strap. I, I just want to go back and try it. I had a tree drill back there, and I went back and uh, went up 10 boats high. And, and put that ring of step on there and got up on that thing. And the first five ten minutes, pretty good. And then my knees started hurting. And then my back started bothering. I got a bad back anyway. And uh, I said, I tell you what, I, I stayed up back two hours, the last two hours of daylight. And I said, well, this is gonna, it's gonna take you getting used to. But I said, I'll never make another hunt again without my knee pads or my <laughs> my back either one. And I haven't. Every time I go, I make sure I bring them.
0: And it and is, I, it is a system. Like it's a system that you that you really do need to have to be able to get... I, I hear so many people talk about, like, oh, I just wasn't comfortable. Well, it's probably because you didn't have the system yet. You didn't have the full system. Because I'm like you, man. I If I leave my knee pads, my knees are going to be sore. I'm going to be comfortable. I mean, I'm going to be uncomfortable now if I leave my I, my back. See, I band. sit a
1: lot, too. I'm, I'm, well, I change positions. I, I go from so extreme lane to uh, not much of a lane to... to uh, legs uh, parallel thighs parallel with the ground to uh it's uh, kind of a bar stool sit i'm about every 15 minutes i change a little bit and i make the day but it took me a while to get everything exactly to get my my tether height right get my bridge length right uh and then my packing in uh, i got a little cheap walmart pack everybody on that site talks about their packs and they got all these big expensive packs and all that i got a lot out of ten dollar walmart pack and i put my predator in it and i put everything in it except for my knee pads i wear my knee pads in i wear my saddle in and i got my my uh lima's belt i got a i got two carabiners on it and i and i got it in my pack and when i when i get ready to climb i just take hook it on my on my loops you know and i'm ready to go like that and then i got my tether in my pack i got those Ropeman ones and Ropeman ones are awesome too
0: oh man and, i love
1: them and uh you know i finally got about the end of this past season i said hey this is it I, I can't change it anymore i like it just the way it is right now so i'm good to go
0: that's awesome so i we you know we talk about saddle hunting a lot on this on this podcast and and uh you know i want to make it I want to make what the things that you say relevant to everybody, not just saddle hunters, um, but to kind of move out of saddle hunting. I want to ask you one more question about that. Now, you've been doing it since you were two, since you were seventy-five, and so that's about about two ish or three seasons. Would you say that it is? Somebody asked on here. Would you say that saddle hunting has? Actually, this is uh, this is from Andy May, which a lot of people may know who Andy May is. He said, I'd like his opinion on if he thinks hunting out of a saddle has directly resulted to more kills. Do those relate for you?
1: Well, I can't say it's, it's directly made more kills for me because I hunted so many years out of a lock, on right. stand You know, but uh, uh, I've yet make my first bow kill out of it. I've made a couple of gun kills out of it, and... Uh, I had two two other deer I could have killed with a gun the, the first year, and I, instead of taking my saddle, I, I took my lock on and, and killed a couple of bucks with it. But uh, I can't say it has for me, but I can see in the future where it, where it could. You can hide so good behind that tree and the angle you are. It's, it's got a lot of lot of advantages over a lock-on stand. It really does. Yeah. And I, I can see the potential of it doing that. But for me, you know, I can't compare all the kills I've— i've made out of my lock-on compared to that and and i don't get me wrong now i wasn't dissatisfied with my lock-on i mean my saddle system is only probably uh at the most two pounds lighter than what i had before you know my my little and it's it it was easier to to set up and quicker to set up my lock-on than it was a saddle really i mean And,
0: um, and are you still talking about the windwalker
1: that you had yeah, the the lock on limit. Yeah, oh
0: the limit. I mean, all it only weighs
1: six and a half pounds and and I've been using it for so many years. You know, I get yeah. to a tree and I climb up there, and and I, I can hang it so I'm going in the blink of an eye and be yeah. in. Yeah. So and, uh, out and, of business. And then all I got to do is is take. I got to have a tether to go to my rock climbing harness, and I'm wearing my rock climbing harness, so I can really set up faster with my limit than I can with the saddle, and and it carries just as easy. I, the the saddle don't carry any easier. To me, personally, it's all about safety, and I and not on do I have the safety now? I enjoy the benefits of the comfort. It's comfort more mm-hmm. comfortable than sitting in a in a lock on stand for me.
0: Yeah, and
1: I've sat in the, the uh, uh what's the what's the big big high dollar fancy one and thing? Uh,
0: the lone, lone wolf.
1: No, the, no, the bigger ones. Are, the oh, I, I can't remember these names.
0: There's millennium. Millennium,
1: yeah, I yeah. sat in one in. Millenniums uh, on a hunt with, a, with some friends invited me to Alabama and they already had his hanging. Then I climbed up in there. And, uh, you know, after it was nice when I first got in it, but after a while it got a little uncomfortable. And uh, and I think the saddle is much better than the millennium that I sit in, you know. Yeah. Not, not to mention that little old big uh, postage stamp <laughs>
0: uh,
1: uh, limit that I hunted it out of so many years.
0: So, but for I, me, I... it
1: was. Safety factor. That's why I really went to uh, the other benefits. Really, maybe maybe two and a half pounds lighter than my other setup was with a with a lock on stand. But you got those limits, are, and, and wind lockers are hard to come by nowadays. So you know, everybody just can't go out and get them one.
0: Right. That's what I was going to ask. I, I thought I'd seen that they were no longer in production at all.
1: Yeah. Well, it, see, Dick Allen, he he uh, had them for a few years, and then he sold out to Lock On Company. And then okay. they became the lock-on limits instead of the dick-out-of-limits and, and wind walkers. And then they went out of business after a few years, and then a couple years later, they come back in business for a few more years, and then they dropped out again. So the only, the only way you can get those two stands is uh, buy them from an the individual, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, That that uh I know I've seen on a lot of the hunting beasts that people talk about, and people have got pictures of them and stuff, and uh, man, I. It, it really seems like, especially these days, when trying to have the lightest setup possible is a pretty popular thing, especially for public land people. Um, somebody ought to try to try to pick that company up and and get that design because I'll bet they could probably sell a few stands. Um, right. I could be I could be talking out of my butt right now. Somebody may have already done that and I don't know about it. Um, I, don't, I
1: don't know either. I tell you what, it's, it's hard to beat that old, old original uh, Windwalker and Limit. They're really good. Yeah. And then my climbing system too. You know, I, I always use Spurs, and then until uh, '83, '83, I I got introduced to the Woodpecker Drill and Bolt system, and I didn't use it much I, until uh, about 2004, or something like that. Then I started uh, using the, the Drill and Bolt system more and more. My, my hunting started changing. I started hunting smaller private places instead of the huge public land that I hunted for so much, and uh, and I started using the the drill. I like pre-drill trees and little small. Right now, my hunting is real localized. I hunt around the house and got a couple of private places I hunt, you know, and and then I've been hunting the national forest up in Mississippi. So uh, I, I've really changed my hunting a lot.
0: Yeah, and that was one of the things that I wanted to talk about too. You. Um, a lot of people on here, um, have kind of like, when I'm looking at these, at these questions that people ask, there's Warren is the man, Warren is a legend, uh, man, I can't wait. This is going to be such a great podcast. Uh, one of the other, the most common questions I'm seeing on here though, is how, like, how has your, how's your hunting changed as you've gotten older and how are you able to stay in hunting shape, um, as you've gotten older?
1: Well, as far as staying in shape, you know, I, <laughs> uh, you you can only do all you, what you can do. I mean, you, it's hard to beat uh, the clock and the time and the years go by and everything. It really it really changes you. But I've always worked out, uh, did work out with weights and stuff like that. From the, when I got out of the navy, I was 21 when I got out of the navy, and and this, I've worked out at, with weights, weight training at least six months every year since then. The Only time I don't work out weights is during deer season and turkey season. And as and, and soon as everything in between those, I got a, a weight routine I work out, you know, anywhere from three to five days a week. And, and I, I lo- love to walk. We got some country roads where I live and I, I'll try to walk two and a half miles probably three days a week and uh, keep my walking down like that. So, and then in September, I got a, a ritual. I got a tree drilled in my backyard and uh, starting in September, I, I I put bolt up that tree and I and I go up there and every, every evening or every evening the weather's right and don't have anything going on. I climb that tree starting in September the first, getting ready for October the first. I climb it up with a dozen arrows and, and lock in just like hunting conditions. I used to do it on in my lock on limit, now I do it with a, with a saddle and a platform. I lock in. I got targets scattered all out on the ground, everything. And I I I'll shoot a dozen arrows, and I climb back down, unhook, climb back down. I pick those arrows, and I climb back up. And I shoot about three rounds of 12, 15 arrows. I mean, I got my quiver. And I do that pretty much every day until October. Well, that does a couple of things for me. For number one, I, it gets to condition my legs for climbing, you know. You, you can work out and do everything else, but you only— you're only in shape for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And if you're climbing, you're not in shape for climbing. So climbing that tree, you know, three three times a day, probably 20 days out of the month, three times a day, well, that gets your legs in shape. And then another thing is when you're up in that stand or in that saddle up there, you're, you're, you're getting used to being off the ground in hunting conditions, which has been a while since you've done that. And then shooting your bow out there, it's a lot different shooting a bow. For me, shooting a traditional bow, I have, I have a tree stand it is standing on the ground and shooting. So I'm getting used to my shooting and getting my eye for that. So once the season starts, it's like I've been hunting for a month already. I mm-hmm. can hit the ground running, you know, and just fall right into it. Whereas before I started doing that, it would take about a week or two to get acclimated to the difference uh, of, of hunting again.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and and one thing, too, that a lot of people, I want to make sure that that a lot of listeners are clear on. I know we have some people that listen that live up north, and they think, oh, man, yeah, September, that's good weather. Out where we live, I know where I live, and you live further south than I do, in September, you're looking at 90 to 100 degree weather with a billion percent humidity. Um, in the shade (laughs) yeah it's 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 a workout man it really it's a workout to climb up a tree one time in september um so when you're talking about doing that you know over and over again that's that is tough to do my we hunted kentucky this past year in september at the very beginning of september we started and every single time the ascent up the tree was the most miserable thing you can imagine it was just terrible. It was always bad, and yep. um, so that is that is a workout. Like I know a lot of people probably think, "Oh, you climb up a tree three times, whoop-de-do." No, it's a it's tough. And
1: um, I, I, that's right. It, it, you know, even for a young guy and everything, you know, and it, and something else I want to tell tell everybody is they get older. If you don't use it, you're gonna lose it. If you if you love to do something that you really want to keep doing, another thing. I mean, age is going to work on you, Gra- gravity is going to work on you, but if you keep doing what you'd love to do, you're going to be able to do it longer than you thought you'd be able to do it, mm-hmm. that's
0: for sure. Yeah, and man, the thing that I love, I see so many guys, and I hate it, I see so many guys get to be in their, you know, 40s and 50s, and um, you know, <laughs> your body's not working quite like it like it used to, and they just give up, man. I I think willpower is is everything. If you just keep persevering and keep going through it, man, you can you can keep doing it as long as you want to and you're you're perfect proof of that, man. I, my question is, did you always have this weight routine and and kind of this tradition of climbing? Is that something that that's been for your whole life or Yeah.
1: I, I started weight training at, at, uh, at least 6 months out of the year at age 21 and I started this uh shooting out of a tree.
0: Oh, oh, I don't know, probably 30 years ago, I guess, or something like that. Well, wow, okay. That's awesome, man. I, that's inspiring for me. Um, you know, I, it, that's always something that's in the back of my mind though. As you think about it, you're like, how how am I going to keep doing this? Like it's going to be a tough a tough reality um if I don't change something about my lifestyle. <laughs> it's going to be a tough reality when I can't do it anymore. And so and it's so inspiring to hear hear from guys like you who have who have lived it, who have done it, who are still doing it, and uh, man, that's just, it's just so neat, and um, uh, speaking of inspiration, um, I'm going to kind of get a little bit away from the tactic stuff, and and maybe your hunting style, and talk about something that is, that has always been really, really interesting to me, and that is the idea of having a hunting journal, and um, I would say you know the people that I know that know who you are and and talk about you, and even some of the people that know you. The first thing that you talk about in those discussions is your hunting journal and the just the sheer number of deer that you've been able to kill and that you know that number because of your hunting journal. So can you can you tell our listeners and and even me? I'm sure I don't know everything about it. Um, can you tell people like what this is? Where where did it kind of where did the idea start at? Um, I just I really want to hear about it.
1: Well, when I first first started getting interested in deer hunting, uh, I had two people that, that was a big influence on me as far as the journaling and, and pictures and all that. And one, one was a guy, a, uh, a coworker on a job out there. He, this was back in, uh, in the 60s, you know, the late 60s and everything. And he was a deer hunter, but they didn't have much deer in Louisiana and, and hardly any back then. And, and as I'd mentioned before, and he would go to Texas and hunt. And he would come back from a hunt and come out on a job and he'd bring pictures of these deer he'd killed and what he'd seen out there and everything. And he could tell I was really getting interested in it. And he encouraged me to as the more I got into it to take a lot of pictures and, and to uh and to help remember it and everything. And then the other inspiration I had was my uncle. I got an uncle that's 11 years older than me. My uncle Sonny Nelson. And uh, he... uh He's a, he's a big hunter, too, and he's my mother's baby brother, so and he could see I was getting into it, too, and he told me to take plenty of pictures and write stuff down and keep up with numbers, and I'd never be sorry for it, and I, I took their word for it, and I started off, you know, with, from basically day one, uh, writing stuff down, but I didn't go into details like I originally worked myself into. After about eight years, I started seeing the value. I kept up with my... Mostly my bow hunting. I wasn't interested in my gun hunting, but I kept up with my bow hunting for the first eight years. And I, 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 knew, I knew pretty much how many hunts I made. I knew how many shots I'd got on deer. I knew the hits and the kills and all that, but I didn't keep up with the days hunted, the mornings hunted, the evenings hunted, the total hunts, how many deer I'd seen, how many deer, how many hunts I made I didn't see a deer, how many hours I had on stand, or how many kills. And I, and I had stories wrote on the shots and the kills, but I, I didn't have it on each hunt. Well, starting on that ninth year, I started, started filling in all those empty blanks and I got more detailed as the years went. And then when I got, I, when I got a computer in like 2001, I had all these volumes of hunts and stories and stuff, handwritten, and I started converting it to a computer. And it took me about 10, 12 years to get to where I'm at now. And I, and I still had, I got stuff I want to do for my handwritten stuff I want to convert over and everything. But I have a story written on every deer I've ever killed. And I've got a story read on every shot I've ever taken at a deer, which is a lot more than I've killed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you, yeah, with the number of deer that you kill, if, if your ratio is like mine, you probably have about... Two to 3,000 shots and maybe a couple hundred deer dead. <laughs> that's, well, that's how mine I, would be. I,
1: I, I use, I, I'm a terrible shot on deer. I, I, don't, I don't do too bad on targets and stuff, but I am really bad on deer. But I, I kill about every, one out of every three deer I've shot at, just to give you an idea. <laughs> that's and, uh, awesome.
0: That's great. But
1: I, I, could tell you, I could tell you more stories about that. But basically, my my journal is made up of writings. And that's stories of the daily hunts Shots, which includes shots and kills, and then have kill stories. And then I got pictures. I got a picture of every deer I ever killed except for maybe three. And that was for camera problems and lighting conditions and just, just, just stuff that didn't go right. <laughs> maybe, oh, maybe four deer out of, out of 385 I don't have a picture of. And then I got video. Since 91, I got video on that. And using all that information i got wrote down in those different groups and categories, I can cross-reference. I can have somebody ask me for, uh, give me a date between now now and uh, this past uh, 1968 or nine, and I can tell them uh, if I killed a deer on that date or give me a number, what number, like deer number uh, 305. I can tell them the story about it. I can show them a picture, and I can show them video on, on that deer.
0: Do you know it by and, heart?
1: No, I, I can look at my records. Oh, okay. and
0: Okay. Okay. I, I thought can, you were saying you could you could tell us the story by heart just by the number. That'd be cool.
1: But I tell you what, I, I can, I can. Uh, somebody asked me about a deer or something other, and I can go look at the picture and read the story, and it pushed me right back at that same moment. Right. Hey. You know, I remember everything about it just reading the story about it. When Even, when you
0: say you write a story about it, is it just like a paragraph? Um, oh, it's like a page? A article in
1: a magazine. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, I, each hunt I make, even if I don't see a deer, I'll write in there where I hunted and the time I was there and and, uh, and what I did see. If I didn't see any deer or something like that, I, you know, where I was at, I, just details. I'm real big on details on stuff like that.
0: Is this something that you write while you're in the tree stand, or do you wait until you're home the next day or that evening? How does that How does that usually work?
1: Well, I just make day hunts now. I don't go off and hunt like I used to, but I used to go on four day hunts, and I had a little notebook, and i would I would write the the basics in it and which gave me enough memory using the basics to mm-hmm. to write the story when I got home and everything and, and put all the stats down wow. but now I just make day hunts, so when as soon as I get back home I, I write everything down, I log everything in that I've done that day or seen or killed or, or missed or whatever, I, I write it all down
0: that is so cool and and for our listeners um a lot of this stuff you know uh Mr. Warren has got obviously has got this book that that he keeps but if you will go follow him on Instagram Warren Womack um you can you can see a lot of these that's one of my favorite things about what you do is uh you know your Instagram like for example my Instagram is usually not um not memories or anything like that like I'm posting pictures of what's happening there here right now yours is a memory from this day 15 years ago and you have a, a deer that maybe you killed or a turkey that you killed or something or a trip that you took and it is yeah. so cool. I
1: Look, let me interrupt you. Pick a number between uh 1 and and 385. 1 and
0: 385. Let's go with 177.
1: 177. All right, that was Boat Kill number one twenty eight. It was Wednesday, December seventh, nineteen eighty eight. Five thirty PM. It was a doe. Shot her on I was hunting on a water rope, fourteen yard shot and she ran thirty yards. And it was And that it was uh I could I, I got where I killed it at too, which I don't need to put that out. Yeah,
0: don't put it out there. <laughs> hey, that, that's funny you say that. There was a guy on here, I don't know if you saw it, but he said uh where do you hunt, or what city What city do you live in, and where do you hunt? That's what the question was. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I probably won't ask that one, but the guy will get a shout out, because uh, the question was so ridiculous that I had to say it out loud. Um with
1: that number you gave me? I, not only could I give you that information, within a, a couple of minutes, I could find a picture, and, and after anything after 91, I can come up with a video clip of it.
0: Wow. That is so cool. So, Here's my question, okay? So, do you use this as a tool for your future hunts? Like, like you said December the 7th, that date is means a lot to me. I killed my biggest public land buck last year on December the 7th. Um, which is really neat. Do you use this as a tool to kind of figure out um the dates that you that you have the most success so you can make sure to be in a tree stand that day or maybe the time of year that this, this specific type of, of oak tree is hot. Are you using that as a tool, or is it mostly just a memory thing?
1: Uh, it's both, but I, I used it uh, for a tool mostly when when uh, I was hunting these different areas. It's my areas I hunt have changed through the years and everything. And, and at the time, you know, like I hunted one area there for about, Eight, eight, ten years, you know, well, I would go back, only as the days come, I would check my record and see where I'd killed at. And I remember those trees, and I'd go in and check them possibly, something like that, for different areas that I hunt. I've hunted a lot, a lot of different areas. Uh, I, could, I, I could count them up here, just to give you an idea, that's just one, two, three, four, five, it's, it's too many to count, it's probably, it's <laughs> 60 different areas I've hunted. But uh, if I was on a certain area, I might go back through my records and check them. And s- for that date, I was gonna plan on going back and get an idea or something like that. But it's, it's just it's fun to keep up with this stuff. It 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 extends your seasoning and and you're only limited by your imagination what you can record and keep up with. And when you first start doing it, you know it's a this might not be in as detail as it'll grow to be, but the more you do it. You, you, and somebody will ask you a question. I said, well, I don't know. I mean, count that up and figure, so i, I you another category to keep up with, something like that. But it, it's just, it's just, you wouldn't, you'd have to see it to believe all the stuff I got. <laughs> That's,
0: that is. And then I got
1: a, I got a video of my entire season, forever season since 91 through this past season. Wow. I mean, it's, I, I started off on VHS, you know, and then I converted that to DVD and uh, and then continue with d v d once the d v d's got in but it's just ever deer and turkish season it's a uh, my whole season documented on video with, with kills and uh you know just just like you just like you do video it's just, just a whole video
0: that is that is so cool do you have any plans to at some point publish your book publish the the stories and things like that
1: you know, I I've, honestly I've been encouraged to do it a lot but um I did a video I did seven videos, you know, from the material, footage I had and I, I sold seven different videos that I come out with and it was pretty overwhelming fooling with that. Yeah. And uh, that wouldn't be nothing compared that would that would be easy compared to me writing a book. I got all the all everything wrote down and just be organized and put together. And I don't I don't really believe it's something somebody'd be interested in buying nowadays like he started off, more people are concerned with the big trophy deer and stuff like that. That's what they're impressed with. Most people aren't impressed with this little old deer that I kill. I, I'm an equal opportunity shooter. For me, hunting is uh, being successful, is is making a kill. And uh, If I if I hadn't killed, if I had just hunted big deer, I wouldn't have nearby as much kills and I wouldn't have nearby as much fun or the memories I have
0: of yeah. what I have
1: you killed. Know. And and it takes the same just about the same effort once you get the deer in range to kill a kill a spike as it does to kill a, a twelve point. You know, it's the same effort involved. You may have a little more pressure on you on the big one, but the mechanics are all the same. And, and it's it's just do you want to kill it or you you want to not kill it?
0: Man, that is that is so inspiring and so cool. I gotta ask you this. If if you had enough people if you had enough people that said, "Hey, I would buy that," because I can tell you right now, me and my circle of friends would buy it in a heartbeat if it came out. If you had enough people encourage you to buy something like that, um, would that be something that you would ever consider?
1: I don't know. I'm too old now. I believe Parker. It's, it's just <laughs> like I say. You would. You have to see all the volumes of stuff that I got here. Man, it would be hard
0: i know i'm just i just really want to read them all i want to read every single one of them so i'm trying to get it out of you so i can have it recorded for everybody to hear that yes you would do it but um just, i don't
1: know man. That's, that's just overwhelming the effort it would take and to to get it you know I, I wouldn't want to just put it out there like a like a mismatch. i just want to have a theme to it where you right. start to work through and all that and i have just so much to try to edit out and and put together i just like it the way it is it's kind of a personal
0: thing (laughs) yeah that's amazing and you know the thing that i like about it is is one day you know one day you're 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 i don't know how many if you got kids or grandkids or anything like that but one day (laughs) you got great grandkids one day they're going to be 25 years old and they're going to see they're going to see something that their grandpa their great great grandpa wrote and then they'll be able to show their kids and they'll be able to live you know, live those moments with you, which I think is just, man, that is so cool. And I, every time I hear you talk, I say I'm going to start tomorrow, uh, but this time I'm for real. I think I'm going to start it tomorrow. Um,
1: yeah, but you're never, you're never too late to get started. You know, and is, uh, you, you'll, you'll impress yourself with what, what you come up with and, and how you do it. I, I, I tell you a little, some of the things I keep up with. Uh, first of all, I got, you have a key. i starting with. Uh, well, let I, I me. Mean, how's the easiest way to say this? I got like deer number one is gun kill number one. Uh, deer number nine was bow kill number four. Uh, deer number twenty one was bow kill number t- uh, fifteen. You know, I, I got call, mm-hmm. and I got each one of those kills. I got the the number deer, what it was, what number bow or gun. I got the day, the date, the time, the the. Decks of it or what it is, eight point, five point, doe, whatever. I got the method of hunting trail, area, water oak, nut all oak. I'm just looking at it in my book right now. I got the how far the shot was, how far the travel was, and where I was hunting. Well, I got, like I say, 285 of those, and then we turn over here. I, I don't like. The, I'm trying to be efficient with this. I don't wanna burn time up with looking
0: No, I, I love it. The thing I love And like I got all it. my
1: states I hunted and how many deer I killed in each state I, I got my, my my prime time, I got it wrote down from 1977 97. I was thirty three to fifty three years old and I killed uh I killed two hundred and eighty six deer during that time it was fourteen point three on average per year. And then I got uh the areas I I got uh, everything I hunted, like areas, red oaks, cow oaks, nut owls, uh, this is what I killed on, not hunted on. Uh, shumard oaks, cherry bark oak, honey locust, beans, uh, trails, walking, just stalking, uh, persimmon, wheat fields, food plots, cut over, creek crossing, soybeans, uh, killed, killed four off the of dogs. I, I was Wild dogs run, some down I killed one with a bow and three with a gun off of that, and then, Called in a few and killed them, and then I got each year. It's like year number one. I got. I mean, I killed in October. I mean, I killed November, December, January, and the total for every year. And uh, like, like this is, for example, I just pick a good year, like uh, 19, uh, 1989. I killed 13 with a bow in October, five and November with a bow, five and December with a bow. Two with a gun in December and one in January. And the total was 26 that year.
0: <laughs> now, and is, I, is that legal now in Louisiana?
1: Oh, well, you know, I've hunted 13 different states, but uh,
0: right. a lot
1: of that went on, you know, it, wasn't, it wouldn't be legal now. Okay. It's legal. Yeah. And then I've killed, uh, got every place I ever hunted, which I got one, two, three, four, five, six pages of the place I've hunted. And then I got. The uh, season summaries, where I got a summary of each season, and I'll give you the total on it. Each each year is a little bit different, but the total is. Uh, the last season was my 51st season of hunting deer, and I. Uh, 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 Where's it? Oh yeah, I, I hunted. I've hunted a total of 2,272 days. This is deer now made 1,386 morning hunts, 1,827 evening hunts for a total of 3,447 hunts. Seen 6,390 deer off a stand. I hunted 1,780 hunts. I didn't see a deer. And I got 8,693
0: hours in a tree stand. Golly, that is so cool.
1: And then I, this is just what you can keep up with. And then I got my bow hunts. How many bow hunts I made? How many shots? How many hits? And how many fines? And I got percentages. Of all that kept the percentages up to 2001, and my seasons started really decreasing. I I didn't keep up with it past that. <laughs> yeah,
0: I uh, I don't know that I would put my percentage on on anything. Just just it might be a blow to my ego <laughs> a little bit. Uh, and I
1: got my. I got the deer I've killed. I got how many many spikes? Three points, four points, five points, six points, seven points, eight points, nine points, ten points. Uh, How many bucks with a bow? How many does with a bow? I got. uh,
0: How many bucks with a bow have you killed? Uh, Big pardon? How many bucks with a bow? Bucks with a bow, 118. Wow, that's incredible. And
1: 162 with a bow. Oh yeah, 160 does with a bow. Wow. Uh, sorry. Now I got 95 bucks with a gun and 10 does. I don't I don't shoot does with a gun much. I killed 10, you know, all through them years. I don't kill. Me. And I got all the states I hunted in: Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Texas, Colorado, Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Illinois. And then I got the deer I've killed on each day of the of the season. I've had one day in October I hadn't killed a deer. And that's October 21st. I've seen them, I've shot at them, I've missed them, I hit them, but I never recovered a deer on October 21st.
0: Wow. So let me ask you, have you um ha- how long so obviously every time you hunt that number changes. Like on on right. on all of those, on a lot of those your days you sit how long does it take you to um like, when you get home from a hunt, how long does it take you to put all of the information in most of the time?
1: Oh, it don't take long at all. No, it's, it's, it's not a problem. And usually I'll wait to the end of the season. Okay. So I got it on my computer. I got a, a deal. Let me see if I can bring it up so I can see what I'm talking about here. Uh, let me uh, X that out. Let me go here. I, I'm sorry. I, I know I'm taking up Oh, time. you're okay.
0: It. It's not a big deal at all.
1: Maybe you can edit it out or, or whatever.
0: Ah. Let's see. <laughs> maybe. I mean,
1: uh... Ah. Oh, I'm in the wrong thing. I'm in pictures. Bear with me just a second. Uh, see, it's, it's a daily daily deal. Like, my hunting seasons, I got to... I keep a deal. This is uh, Bowling Gun 2018-2019 out there, I got, a, I got a page for each month, like I got October, November, December, and January, and when I come in, and then I got the hunt hunt record, and when I come in, I'll bring up, say it was October, October the 1st, I put where I was hunting, I put the whole thing down there, like, I'll, I'll read you this one just for an idea, I think I can read this one. This says, uh, this is 2018-19 bow and gun season, October. I'm reading this off of my record on my computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, 01, Monday, October the 1st, 2018, home, I hunted behind the house. First day of the season in my 2093 bow hunt. Made an easy hunt behind the house on a feeder I had set up a couple of weeks ago. Trail camera showed there had not been much activity on it, but I had to start somewhere. It was 73 degrees this morning. When I was set up at seven o'clock the feeder went off at seven fifteen. The only thing I saw was a couple of squirrels and a few red birds that came for the corn. The tree I'm in is small and it was a problem for, and it was a problem for my knees. It didn't have enough diameter for me to be comfortable. The wind was I was in a saddle to, The wind was from the east and it it oh uh, it warmed up pretty quick. It was ten o'clock when I called it quick, so I figured three hours was enough. Uh Back at the house, I cut a board, walked back to the tree using four screws. I drilled in the tree to benefit my knees with more contact surface for the next, next hunt. should make a sit a lot more comfortable. Rain this evening, so no evening hunt. So that, that was just the first day of the season hunt behind the house. And every time I hunt, I write something basically like that. Mm-hmm. And I got that for October, November. And if I got a picture to illustrate, I, I put a picture in that writing and uh, and what have you. And then, That's... and then I got my my hunt record for for this ah um, coming up. I gotta wait for my computer loaded up on my hunt record. This is this is what I keep up with right here. This is a a daily deal. I put I got a place that I change the numbers on my computer, and it's total days hunted. Morning hunts numbers, evening hunt numbers, total hunts numbers, hours on stand. And even hunt, I change that, update it. And uh, I got how many bow hunts, how many deer sightings, bow, deer sightings, how many hours on the stand, how many shots, how many hits, how many recoveries, all-time bow hunts, which which reads at the end of this last year, 2,107 bow hunts. And uh, then I got hogs, I got bow Gun and primitive weapon, hog sightings, shots, hits, recovered pass. I got primitive hunts, deer sightings on primitive hunts, hours on stand. I got primitive shots, primitive hits, primitive recoveries. I got gun hunts, deer sightings, hours on stand. Same thing. I got it all for bow hunting, gun hunting, and primitive hunting. And then I got total hunts without seeing a deer, with the bow, with the primitive, with the gun, and the total. And then I got deer. Seen from the stand, deer seen from the ground. I got the numbers for each month I do, and then I got the, where I hunt at and how many hunts I made, how many deer I seen on that hunt from that from that location hunting, and how many deer I see from the ground. I got how many trees I drilled and where I drilled them. I got saddle predator hunt, saddle predator hunts. Like last year, I made 22 uh, hunts with the saddle and predator on my lock on. Uh, climbing harness hunts, I made 10, and then the saddle and the lock on, I made 2, and I made 2 from a ladder stand, and then uh, I had 36, and then I got how many hunts I made in October, November, December, January. I didn't hunt February. And then on each day, I put the day, the time I hunted, what I saw, what I shot at, what I hit, and my method of hunting and where I was at. And I do that for every day I hunt. That so means-
0: that's
1: kind of deal and, and being
0: on the computer you know it's easy to change easy yeah stuff. that is so cool so so it's very detailed um i don't think i even i didn't realize how detailed it is um but it's very detailed man i'm so i'm so inspired i know a lot of our listeners are going to be inspired by this um it's just so cool that you know you can look back just like you did a while ago you look back and saw that uh that Whatever it was deer kill number one seventy seven you killed it on December the seventh to me that that kind of stuff is just so valuable. You get to remember those memories that 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 you made that were so much fun. You said something and and I'd like you to kind of to just kind of kind of well in the podcast we're we're coming up on time, but you said something earlier that was so good. you talked about um if you were just hunting for big deer or just hunting for horns. Um, then you would have missed out on a lot of the memories and a lot of the good times that you had with all the other deer. Can you kind of explain that a little bit um, just to kind of end the conversation?
1: Well, you know, uh, I hunt for the pleasure and I hunt to see deer and I hunt to shoot a deer. And uh, I, I don't, you know, I pass on a lot of deer a lot more than most people think I do. But I, I enjoy the kill, man. The kill for me. It's a payday for all your hard work and expense and your time and effort. And uh, that's that's a payday for all that. And I, I like paydays, man. I like being rewarded for my efforts. And, and uh, letting deer walk, you know, it's fun to see them and all that and fun to count them. But uh, a lot of people say, oh, I could have killed that one. Well, you don't know what you could have killed until you do it. You know, there's a lot of things can happen uh, to, to, to make an easy shot, uh, not be a kill. And I, I've witnessed it and I've, Experienced it many, many times. I, I've, I've missed deer inside ten yards more times. I want to tell you about. So, you know, until you put your hands on him, you didn't kill him. And uh, and uh, it's, it's like I said before. You know, there's no difference in, in in the mechanics of killing a spike and a twelve point. You know, you just get get a little more bragging rights out of a twelve point. You do a spike, but to me, I, I get just excited over, over any deer I kill. And I, well, something else too, a, a darn mature, matriarch doe is about as hard to find a as there is. Mm-hmm. A buck is easy to kill compared to a doe with a fawn. These, these, and what makes it easier, the does are more active in the daylight. You know, they they train these fawns how to travel and food sources and this that and no, other. They're on their feet moving during hunting hours a lot more than a buck is. And then, and they looking for something behind every corner. They, they walk like waiting for a booger to jump out on them or something. You know, they, they really alert. Where a book, I've seen books stand still like a statue for 15, 20 minutes, never move. And then once he decides everything's okay, he, he flips his tail and he walks pretty much head down hanging. You know, he's, he's just not concerned. He's proved to himself everything's safe. Uh, so, you know. It's, it's uh, the only reward you're getting out of killing a big buck, which don't get me wrong. I love killing a good buck, but uh, it's just those horns, you know, the, the experience is all the same. You come in, you had a good shot, you took it, you made it good. So that's a good
0: hunt. I love that. I, I, I wrote something today. Uh, I posted it on Instagram here just a little bit ago. And uh, I posted a picture um, of a real small buck that I killed this past year and um it was actually on public land it was my first buck with a bow on public land and my standards are pretty low i was like you know what this point of the season i just want to shoot a buck and get a buck down with my bow and uh it was a little six point or five point and he's he's little bitty uh but the, the quote that i put next to it um was just something i was thinking about was don't let somebody else don't let somebody else decide define success for you um because it's not up to anybody else but you so for some people right for you mr womick your your success is about the experience it's going to be really close to what mine is i want I i want to go out and experience something and have an adventure and have cool encounters and and if i decide i want to pull the trigger on something man i'm going to pull the trigger on it and i'm not going to care what it was and at the end of the day it's still success to me so i want to say thank you uh, Mr. Warren for, for being that, um, voice in our community for people, for being, um, just everything, in my opinion, everything that is good about our hunting community. And, um, man, I am so pumped up for people to listen to this episode and, and, and and truly, I really, truly believe, um, that as much as you wouldn't admit it, uh, you are what the definition of a legend would be for the hunting world, the hunting community. And so I thank you for it.
1: Well, I appreciate that. But like I told you before, I'm just an average hunter that's hunting a little bit more than the average amount of time <laughs> and, and has some success with it.
0: All right, that is going to be it for this episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Thank you so much to Mr. Warren Womack for coming on the show. Uh, just an absolute legend and inspiration to hunters all over the place i believe that he is one of the best ambassadors for this sport that we all love so much and i'm so appreciative of him of his outlook on hunting and for inspiring people all over the all over the nation really and um and i, I just i, I want to say thank you one more time to mr warren Wilmick. hope you guys enjoyed that show if you did enjoy it take a moment to leave us a five-star review on itunes um, that helps out more than you know. Follow us on Facebook and on Instagram. On both of those, that is at Southern Ground Hunting. That is the symbol at symbol Southern Ground Hunting. All lowercase, all one word. You'll find us on Facebook and on Instagram. Speaking of that, if you have somebody that you would like to nominate for the local legend series, I've got a few slots left that I need to um, that I need to fill. So I would love to hear from you guys. If you have a name, send me a name. Um, maybe, maybe send me a a a contact if you have a contact for these people i would be happy to talk to them and see if they would be interested in coming on the show um again i thank you guys so much for listening i i can't tell you how much i appreciate you i appreciate your support i appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast and uh and, and i hope you guys are getting something out of it i hope you're learning things i hope you're being inspired to get out and enjoy the outdoors and um again thank you thank you so very much um that's going to be it other than thank you to our partners onyx tethered and new breed check those companies out we appreciate everything that they do as always guys if you are going to be outside if you're scouting fishing maybe you're hunting whatever is in season hog hunting doing whatever um just remember this that god gave you dominion over the birds of the air the fish of the sea and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.